evidence and answers. The Harry Potter series and the Marvel comic movie series, like Doctor Strange, have been immensely popular in the last few years. However, movies and novels like these are filled with occult images and practices. Is there a danger to exposing young minds to these practices and ideologies? Many say it's just entertainment. How should we approach these novels and movies? And how do we talk to our children and friends about the occult and the new age? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today in our broadcast, Pat and his guest, former New Age practitioner and astrologer, Marcia Montenegro, discuss the occult and entertainment and how we can train our children to discern truth from the false teachings of the occult. Now with the first part of this two-part interview is our host, Pat. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the issues of today. Well, today we're seeing a plethora of occult and New Age images and practices in the movies today. Youth and children are being exposed to these teachings in many popular movie series today. Some of the most popular include the Harry Potter series and the Marvel Comics series, a recent one, big hit, Doctor Strange and the Multi-Universe. Well, is there a danger to exposing young minds to these practices and ideologies? Many say it's just entertainment. Well, how should we approach these novels and movies? How do we talk to our children and friends about the occult and the new age? Well, to help us with that is Marcia Montenegro. She is a former astrologer and was heavily involved in the new age. And she now leads a ministry, Christian Answers for the New Age. She is a sought-out speaker and an author on subjects of astrology and the new age and the occult. And she's come out with a recent book on the Enneagram. So... She'll be helping us out with this topic today. So, Marcia, welcome back to Evidence and Answers. Hi. Thank you so much for having me on again as a guest, Patrick. I appreciate it. Yeah. So, Marcia, it's been a while since we've had you on. So, tell us once again about <laughs> your background and how it fits into the topics that we're discussing today. Okay, sure. Yes, for many, many years, I was involved in what is called the New Age which is really a blend of a lot of different beliefs, usually from Eastern religions, Gnostic-type beliefs, and something called New Thought, which is really, you can summarize it as positive thinking. But what I was really into was Eastern religions, um, on the one hand, especially Buddhism, and then basically the occult, on the other. I was a professional astrologer, and for many years I taught astrology, I held office in a local astrological society, and so that was very big in my life, of course. I had tarot cards. I did spirit contact, communicated with the dead, sometimes supposedly with the dead. You know, I was in some seances. Studied numerology. I had a spirit guide. So I was very involved in these areas that are considered occultic. But I had a New Age worldview. I believed Jesus was an enlightened master, uh, like Buddha. And I believed in reincarnation and that we all come back many times. And each time we spiritually advance, supposedly, we're supposed to spiritually advance. Uh, I felt I was, of course. So that was, that was the world I was in for a, at least 20 years. 
before the Lord intervened, and I was drawn towards Christ and eventually trusted Christ and believed in Him as the Messiah, the Savior, and the only way to be reconciled with God. So that's the story in itself, but that's what happened. (laughs) Yeah, so tell us briefly what drew you out of the occult and to Christ. Well, there wasn't anything specific. It was a series of things over a period of almost a year. I first felt a very strong compulsion to go to a church, and I didn't want to go to a church. I mean, I had rejected Christianity back in high school. So I I really had no desire to go to a church, and I resisted it for quite a while, I mean, for several months, and then finally... I gave in, and I went to a church, a large church, in a denomination I was completely unfamiliar with, (laughs) a a mainline denomination. And in the beginning of the service, I had a powerful experience of feeling God's love pouring down on me and that He was telling me He loved me, which I couldn't really process because I didn't believe in a personal God, yet I was sure this was from a personal God. And so it caused me to go back to the church and continue going back there, although this was a very open-minded church, and people there who found out I was an astrologer were not bothered by it. And so I just, you know, continued going there and doing my New Age stuff and my astrology. But within a few weeks, I had an impression God didn't like astrology, but I managed to ignore that. And then a few weeks later... There was an impression from God that he wanted me to give it up. Or maybe it was that I realized he, you know, really, really hated it so much that I really was going to have to give it up. I'm not sure. But usually the way I tell this is that it was this very strong impression I needed to give it up. So uh, nobody said this, and I didn't hear a voice, but I did. I did actually give it up. And from there, several things happened I won't go into, but it led me to... I started reading the Bible, and then a few weeks later, while I was reading the Bible, God opened my eyes and I saw who Jesus was. I was reading the Gospel of Matthew. And so while I was reading that, I saw who Jesus was and turned my life over. And that was the moment. I mean, you know, I remember the moment that happened. I did find out several months later that a coworker in an office where I was working part-time, actually because of astrology, a coworker there who was Christian had been praying for me with a young adult fellowship group at his church all during uh, the year when all those things happened. So that's what happened. <laughs> well, great. You know, we are talking about the occult today. And so tell us briefly, what is the occult? Yes, it's very good to to define it because sometimes people have a lot of different ideas about it or they confuse it with the word cult. And so those are two different words, and they're used very differently. The occult is really, I define it as a set of practices associated with certain belief, non-Christian belief systems. And that can be from, that's a lot. That can include almost every religion in the world that's not Christian, a lot of pagan beliefs. And these are all listed, actually, by God in Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 and 11. So depending on the translation you're reading, you may have different terms, but usually the list includes reading omens, contacting the dead, 
contacting spirits, doing sorcery, casting spells, and doing divination. And so divination is a term that covers a lot of practices like astrology, palm reading, crystal ball reading, numerology. Those are all forms of divination. Spirit contact, of course, is trying to contact, the, the that would include trying to contact the dead or just any disembodied spirit, like trying to contact angels or get messages from angels or some kind of being that you think is in another realm. Like in the New Age, people believe there are these like ascended masters or your spirit guide, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a disembodied being, and that's a form of spirit contact along with contact with the dead. And then sorcery is practicing basically occult magic. That would include things like, uh, you know, where you try to supernaturally alter reality. Casting spells would probably come under that, but people who cast spells today who are the modern witches and Wiccans, and I had many of them as my clients when I was an astrologer. I knew quite a few of them. Some of them were my friends. One of them was my chiropractor. And <laughs> they would not say it was sorcery because, uh, oddly enough, witches and, and Wiccans look down on sorcery. They see it as a separate thing that they don't do, and they see it as a self-oriented kind of selfish thing. And so they like to make a distinction between what they do and what sorcerers do, which is kind of interesting. So anyway, you've got you've got a very confusing world there when you get into the occult because there's no clear Nothing is very clear, and there's a lot of false beliefs around ideas there and what people in the occult can do. So I will just say that those practices are listed for a reason, and that is because they are connected to the worship of false gods. And that is one reason, if you read the the whole chapter and you read all of Deuteronomy, you see that God was constantly warning his people. He was leading them into pagan lands where the people had turned from God and they had turned to these pagan practices to communicate with and get messages from their gods. And it was through these practices, the occult practices. So they are still around today in different forms, and they are still abhorrent to God, but they're being glamorized in the culture, and they're much more accepted now. Yeah. Now, Marsha, what is the goal of the occult, of those who practice? The goal? I think people have different goals. I mean, I think... uh, People who are really involved in this really believe in it. And so they believe, they, some of them believe it's their calling. I felt that, that doing astrology was my calling, and I had been an astrologer in previous lives, and I thought I was helping people. So my goal was to help people, although I certainly had a lot of satisfaction from the fact that I knew a lot of things most people didn't know. You know, I knew how to interpret an astrological chart, and most people, you know, in the world do not know how to do that. So, I felt, you know, you, feel, you tend to feel special when you're in the occult. You feel selected that you're doing something special because, number one, most people aren't doing that. And number two, what you're doing is kind of secret. It's stuff that has to be taught to you or you have to learn from certain people or certain books. Of course, now with the Internet, it's a lot easier to get information on how to do these things or what they are. But it's still kind of this esoteric, secretive kind of thing, and that appeals to a lot of people. Some people see it as a challenge. You know, now I'm mainly talking about why people get into the occult, but that kind of follows through with why they do what they do. It's it's all for those particular reasons. 
Yeah, in my experience, it seems that many who get involved in the occult are seeking some kind of power, you know, power over people or power over their circumstances or, you know, a special kind of power when they're contacting spirits or being able to foresee the future or casting spells on other people. It seems like they're seeking or in a quest for power. Do you see that as a goal? No, not, not, not usually, no. I mean, among all the people I knew, the Wiccans, witches, the astrologers, the tarot card readers, many, 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 many psychics that I knew. I had psychics as teachers. Um, to me, their, their goal wasn't power. Their goal was, and for many of them, it's knowledge. And I didn't say that. I, I was saying because you feel special and you know things, but that's part of it. I wanted to know this knowledge, to have this knowledge most people didn't know. So I, I feel like it's more of a now that, yes, there are people who get in in it because they think they can access some kind of power. I would say they're the minority and because nobody really believes they have power over another person in the occult, except people who are into certain forms of the occult that are rather extreme. Nobody really thinks they have power over anybody. They think they maybe can do things that might influence you or in some way cause something to happen, especially in Wiccan witchcraft, I would say that's more common. In the New Age, it's, it's more about things you're doing for yourself, how you can think a certain way and attract certain things to yourself. So it can be very, it's very self-oriented, of course, in that sense. And some people who feel very maybe ignored or disenfranchised in society may seek occult activities because they might feel that will give them some power and they don't have any. I think there are some people who are drawn to it for, for that reason, but I don't think that's the main reason because the occult doesn't really promise power to anybody. Yes. Now, Marsha, do you think that movies and entertainment with occult themes today have increased uh, in the past few years? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that is something I have been noticing, especially, I would say, the last 10 to 15 years. To me, it seems like there has just been this very, very dramatic increase. I think I first noticed it, especially in children's entertainment, cartoons, and animated features. I noticed a lot of occult themes um, several years ago, and I'm not sure what year this was. It had to be at least, I think, six, maybe seven or eight years ago. There was a series of, uh, it's a story about a princess that's, told in uh, a cartoon series. It might have been the Disney Channel, although I'm not positive now. And this princess, which was an ongoing story, has these friends with these, like a magician friend and has these friends that have supernatural power. She begins to learn how to do this. There's actually, a, a, I did a Facebook post on this. There's actually a song that I found, I think, on YouTube with this character in it. And the song is, you know, let's learn how to cast a spell. And I mean, I was really like kind of dumbfounded by this. And it was just so overt, you know, just like nothing kind of subtle about it. Like, well, let's cast a spell. But, you know, we have to be careful because it might be a bad thing. <laughs> it's kind of like, yes, let's learn how to do this. This is great. So, I mean, and, and from there, uh, there was uh, animal books for children and cartoons for children on animal Finding your animal spirit guide. Now, animal spirit guides are known in the New Age, and they're also known in certain indigenous cultures where you have a spirit animal and different ideas 
around that. I actually went on a quest to find my spirit animal when I was camping with a group of Wiccans. They may have called themselves witches. I, I honestly don't remember. They may have just called themselves neo-pagans. But the leader of the group said he had studied under a Native American man for eight years. Now, I don't know if that's true or not. That's what he claimed. So we did a vision quest, those of us who wanted to do it, which was a very small number of us, and went out into the woods after meditating to find our spirit animal. So this is this is like, you know, this is an extremely pagan and occult and new age concept. And it's, be, and it's introduced to children in these cartoons and in books. And then I did a whole thing on Frozen 2, too which is a very popular movie because Frozen 1 was so popular. Frozen 2 is just has out-and-out occult themes in it. Um, and then, of course, we have Doctor Strange, which we're going to discuss. I Yes, this has escalated to an incredible degree, and I have been very busy trying to keep up with it. And then movies like Coco, which has communication with the dead in it, and Encanto, which was very popular, was the most recent one, a big feature that was very a big hit about this magic house and everyone in the house except one child has, you know, these powers, most of which are kind of occult powers. So yeah, this is this has become very acceptable in mainstream culture, these, these concepts. Yes. Now why do you think there's such an increase in the occult in these movies and in popular entertainment today? Well, I have my own, you know, speculation. So just for anyone listening, these are just my own opinions. It doesn't mean that I'm correct, but I will <laughs> give you my ideas on it. I think, number one, I, I really truly believe we've entered the end time. Well, I know we've been in the end times since Christ came back, because the Bible says those were the last days. And we are in the last days, and we have been for 2,000 years. But I think we're even in the later part of the last days, because partly because of that, partly because of a big falling away in the church towards progressive Christianity that we're witnessing. There's kind of a falling away from sound doctrine. So I think all of these things are connected because when people, who, when churches who are really supposed to represent Christ and Christians are, are representing the, the light of Christ in the world— if they start to water down the message or they start to be weak witnesses or bad witnesses, it affects the culture. And the light, you know, it's like starts to get simmer, going to go out, but it gets dimmer and the culture gets bolder. You know, the paganism and the occultism that the enemy is constantly sowing, trying to sow in the culture. He's trying to constantly sow those seeds because those are things very contrary to Christ and that God hates, the culture becomes more open to it when the witness for Christ is weakened. And that's just my own view as, as to one reason, and there are probably others. I think our culture is just more open to, you know, we've, we've gone into relativism for quite a while now, so the belief in objective truth or um, absolute good and evil is pretty much by the wayside, even in a lot of churches. And so when you lose the idea of objective truth or the idea of a God who believes in that, who's teaching us absolute good and evil, then you make room for things in a relativistic way. So it's kind of like, well, that's not so bad. It's better than this. Or that can be used for good. You become pragmatic. So you think, well, this may seem evil or it may seem bad, but actually it can be used for good. And so you get pragmatism. And I think, so I think from all those things that has opened the door 
to an increase in acceptance of the occult because the occult would not increase unless people accepted it. If people resisted, it wouldn't have escalated the way it has. Yeah, I think you bring up some very uh, valid reasons there. Now, we're talking, you know, and you mentioned some great and popular movies that are out there today. And one yeah. of the biggest hits out there, of course, is the Marvel comic series movies. And one of them, you know, hitting screens recently is Doctor Strange. And we see a yeah. lot of occult themes in there. What What are some of the occult themes you see there in Doctor Strange? Oh, my Strange? goodness. <laughs> yeah, I was even kind of taken aback by this. I, when I read about Doctor Strange a few years ago, I... I thought, okay, he's a, he's a comic hero, so you know a lot of these heroes have these powers, and a lot of them are, are kind of fantasy powers, like Superman and his x-ray vision. You know, I, I tell people I consider that a fantasy power. That's a fantasy power. That's not an occult. That's not listed by, it doesn't fit any of the categories listed in Deuteronomy 18. And, you know, those I see as kind of, as kind of harmless. They're kind of done for fun or part of the plot. But then you have things where, that are actually based on occult concepts. So in Doctor Strange, I saw, first of all, he is being mentored by this character called the Ancient One, who's played by uh, Tilda Swenson. Tilda Swenson is very good in this role. And the Ancient One, she's, she's shaved, you know, has a shaved head, and she's very wise-looking, and she's very powerful. You know, she seemingly has these supernatural powers and Dr. Strange has been a doctor and he's been a man of science and he doesn't really buy into the supernatural things. So she does these things he can't explain rationally, but she is called the Sorcerer Supreme. So, I mean, right away to me, this is a red flag because she's being called a sorcerer, which means that she is able to manipulate reality with supernatural power. Then you have an initiation the Doctor Strange is initiated, I believe, they don't call it this in, in the movie that I saw. I did not see the latest movie, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse, but the one I saw, I think actually might be better to have seen because it kind of lays the groundwork for the Multiverse one, which is only going to repeat a lot of what I saw. He's taken to Mount Everest by the Ancient One and just kind of left there because she's shown him a few things, and now he has to learn how to get back to where he was from Mount Everest, because otherwise he's going to freeze to death. And she just leaves him there. And I saw this as an initiation, because in the occult and New Age, there's usually some kind of initiation either done deliberately to initiate you into it, or it happens, it just happens. And actually, I think many times the person doesn't realize that it's happened. I think it can happen through doing um, Eastern meditations. It can happen in some kind of a ritual that's done, somebody can say words over you, or it can happen with your encounter with a spirit guide. And I believe that after that happens, things really accelerate. If you're into that area and you're moving into that area, things really accelerate. Okay, another one is that you have a lot of altering of reality in Doctor Strange. So, you know, naturally, the Ancient One is doing these things, and Doctor Strange learns how to alter reality. Well, a classic definition of sorcery is bending reality to your will or to provoke change and conformity to your will. And this was said by ritual magician Aleister Crowley, who's a very infamous character in the occult. He 
claimed to do ritual magic. He was into all kinds of, of very um, evil occult activities. But his definition is actually a very good definition. So you're altering basically reality according to your will. So your will is supreme. And actually his motto was, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. And that particular motto, interestingly enough, has been adopted by a lot of modern Satanists. And they have taken that as their motto because in modern Satanism, your will is supreme over anyone's will. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed Pat's show. We have a wide variety of different topics that will make for an incredible conference series. So if you would like Pat to speak at your church, your Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Be sure to use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio free to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the Air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, once again, head on over to our website, that's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuccarat. Oh, 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 oh,